From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Today on the show, we're featuring a conversation between Impact Alpha's editor and CEO, David Bank, and Paul Funsale. Funsale, who grew up in South Africa, is perhaps best known as the executive secretary of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, following the end of apartheid in that country. He went on to co-found the International Center for Transitional Justice to help post-conflict countries transition to democracy. David and Funsale spoke at The Conduit, a new members club in London's Mayfair District. Funsale co-founded The Conduit to bring together a community of people that he describes as passionate about social change. Let's jump right into their conversation now. I was very privileged. My parents always told me that apartheid was an evil system. And so I think the presumption as I went to university was that one has to do something to resist it. And um, so I started um, working as a human rights lawyer and a human rights activist, um, came to know a group of women whose children had been abducted and disappeared by the security forces in the struggle against um, apartheid. And when the transition started happening and it became clear that we would be moving to a more democratic system, um, it became necessary for the new South Africa to think about how it would deal with the crimes that occurred during um, the conflicts of the past. Um, And I was very fortunate to have worked on a series of proposals to establish a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I had worked with victims of these crimes. Um, So I had a sense of what they wanted and needed and were advocating for for themselves and for their loved ones. Um, And so I had the great privilege of working as the executive secretary of the commission. I was in charge of policy and strategy at the commission and, um, you know, worked... um, you know, uh, at the foot of Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, for a, a very intense period of time immediately after the end of apartheid and during Nelson Mandela's presidency. So policy and strategy, I mean, there's been, I know different countries have taken different approaches of sort of how deep to dig into the abuses of the past. I think South Africa had the thought that it was going to be essential to move forward to be able to have some reckoning with the, with the history. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, and I think we, we felt that um, you couldn't have amnesia, you couldn't have denial, you couldn't have forgetting, um, that there would need to be some reckoning. Um, the nature of our transition also meant that there wasn't going to be a Nuremberg trial or a, a victory of one side over another. So there had to be this very careful balancing between discovering the truth and incentivizing perpetrators to disclose their crime and giving victims the sense of acknowledgement and, and the dignity of knowing what happened. Um, and, you know, it was a... Didn't fully realize while we were doing it how closely the South African transition was being watched around the world. And, you know, all the incredible triumphs we we succeeded at and all the mistakes we made um but there um it it certainly became uh, for better or for worse a model of how countries move from one era to another and a reference point for many other transitional societies and then that led to a, a, a sort of broader effort is that right a broader human rights uh organization that you helped found yeah so i co-founded an organization with the swimmingly pithy title, the International Center for Transitional Justice. Um, uh, And we were located in New York. We landed up working in 30 countries around the world, and we help nations 
struggling with a legacy of massive human rights abuse to deal with that abuse in a way that would be as um, constructive as possible, protect the rights of victims, create a framework where it would never happen again, um, create as much truth and justice and reparation as you could under in each of those individual circumstances. So that was how, how many countries or which countries stand out? There's... there's Altogether, too many of them. With great regret, uh, you know, there was not a shortage of work. So um, the first government after Fujimori in Peru, the first government after Charles Taylor in Liberia, the first government after Jerry Rawlings in Ghana, the first government after Suharto in Indonesia, the East Timorese after the Indonesian decolonization process, Morocco after Hassan II, former Yugoslavia, after Milosevic, um, the list goes on. So you have uh, heard, at least, if not seen directly, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, both the worst things that human beings are capable of doing to each other, literally the worst things, um, but also incredible acts of humanity, incredible acts of bravery, incredible acts of generosity, uh, abilities of societies to... Um, deliver justice, but also to to heal and to reconcile. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I take from those experiences a generally a glass three-quarters full approach to both <laughs> humanity and to the world, um, in part because I, you know, I think I was born in a lucky moment in history. I, I, I got to witness one of the most remarkable processes of democratization and transition that the world has ever seen. In, in South um, in Africa. South Africa. Yeah. And so I think that that, you know, if the South Africans could do it, there are not many reasons why other places and people couldn't. Nothing lasts forever, of course, and South Africa has its own challenges now. Getting rid of a great evil is the first step. Uh, governing well and delivering to your people is a, you know, getting rid of an evil is necessary but insufficient. Uh, delivering good, clean government that protects human rights and gives people the dignity of work and basic services is the next thing you have to do. And, you know, uh, we, uh, on our scorecard, we did the first in an exemplary fashion, I would I would suggest. On the second, we it is, it is a work in progress. Yeah. So just bring us up to date uh, how you got to be back, or I guess not back, but maybe the, for the first time living in London and, um, uh, and, and, and form this home, as you say, for people who are passionate about positive social impact. Um, uh, were, the, were there steps in the way, in, in between? Yeah, there was, there was one step. So after having co-founded the International Center for Transitional Justice, I um, <coughs> co-founded a, a fashion brand called Mayette. Ah, uh, yes. And Mayette's um, social enterprise um, was really driven by a sense of how you source goods from artisans uh, and create a brand that would result in them being properly paid and trained. And so I really, you know, took a, a crash course in entrepreneurship and in social entrepreneurship and business building. And um, and the brand was built expressly to improve livelihood of women, artisans, and, and craftspeople? Totally. And with that, you know, it started from that premise, and then we tried to build a business around that, the idea. It's of, now known as quite a high-end brand, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, we have had the experience of building Mayette, um and both the enormous pleasures and the real challenges of doing so really informed what we're doing in The Conduit. Um, uh, as we speak, five floors below where you and I are, are sitting together, 
uh, Mayes has brought together 55 ethical and sustainable brands that are in ready-to-wear and in jewelry and in home and in beauty that are showcasing exquisitely beautiful products. And so um, in addition to having our own products, we also have sought to curate together a community of brands um, doing this work. And in some senses, the kind of germs of what the conduit is lay in that experience of what it takes to found, establish, build a business, what it takes to raise capital, what it takes to do branding, what it takes to think thoughtfully about your supply chain and how you achieve impact, how you balance your impact imperatives with your profit imperatives and how you make sure that those are aligned. And, you know, doing that, it's it's not for nothing that the vast majority of new startups fail because it's a wildly hard and complicated thing. You have to, you know, dance in high heels going backwards. You know, it's really, <laughs> really, really hard. And so part of what the, the conduit has sought to do is say, how do we cluster together a community of people who will provide the resources, the capital, the expertise, the business plans, the marketing um, to be able to birth new businesses where they're required, but also to seek to scale businesses that have real potential. Um, and, And that's really kind of the essence of my kind of journey from a human rights lawyer to an entrepreneur to what we're doing now. Um, which is trying to create a real platform and a home and a community for entrepreneurs working in the space. And also, I think Mayette, if, if I recall right, uh, has gathered many impact investors as well as investors in the, in the company. So you've yeah, seen it from both sides. Precisely. You know, and, and, and right now, you know, the Conduit um, has a, a platform which provides a basis for companies to be able to put forward their business plans and gain capital. And, you know, again, that derived from my experience, what it's, what it's like to build a community of investors who are not just going to write checks, but stand by you through, you know, through good times and, and hard times and provide you with assistance. And I think one of the kind of real lessons um, that I see in the conduit every day, and I've seen in my own experience as an entrepreneur, is money is necessary and it's really important to build a business. But um, it's all the other stuff that lets you succeed or fail. And that stuff, you need as much help and training and assistance uh, and support and wisdom um, in all of those fields. So if you, you know, you're going to build a successful impact business with impact at its core authentically, you need a posse of people around you who are going to help at, at all the right times and in all the right ways. It's interesting. It strikes me, and I'm, and I'm just trying this out on you for the first time, but some people think of you know technical assistance as an overhead cost that yeah. is something that a fund, for example, would have to bear to make sure their enterprises are, are yeah. successful. You're almost turning technical assistance into a, a feature of its own, a, a way that the community can kind of come together and help uh, entrepreneurs succeed, help each other succeed. Um, people actually want to do that. Yeah, I mean, I always say that, you know, we're trying to create the generosity of a platform at The Conduit. And I think, you know, I mean, if you abstract for a moment, platform businesses are wildly valuable. Um, 
Um, That's why everybody calls their businesses a platform. Of course, you know, you just say, you're a platform, and say, great, yeah, here's a check, thank you very much. Uh, when can you exit? Um, but I think, you know, so, you know, you want to build a platform, and you want to build a platform, I think our approach to a platform is to think of it not just as a value to us, but as an enormous value to a group of entrepreneurs who are trying to support um, to build businesses, but also to support each other. And there is something about the generosity and reciprocity of that, that if I help you, you'll help me, you know, um, and also if you structure it so that the platform is not just virtual. So the alienation of, you know, connecting via Facebook versus the intimacy of being in a space where you can break bread and have a drink and have a conversation and come back to it day after day after day and say, I'm still struggling with this and uh, can you help me with this? And um, you know, that was wildly helpful. Thank you very much. Is there something I can do for you? Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're spending a lot of time at the conduit um, thinking about how you program that into the DNA of our community. Have businesses been launched, you know, financed, uh, 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 nurtured along here already? Yes. So, I mean, we're six weeks in, but what's been really amazing is, um, you know, we, a third of us are entrepreneurs and investors, a third are, um, uh, so, but from, from very big businesses and from significant funds, and then a third are sort of social entrepreneurs, not-for-profits, philanthropists, foundations, and then a third are sort of... Um, creatives, film, art, fashion, music, literature, design, theatre, television, and then kind of a research policy um, government sector. So it's a sort of blend of, you know, the constituent parts of what you need in order to get a business to thrive. You've, if you've got to figure out many or if not all of those different dimensions. And do they and do, and those groups all sit in separate corners of the of the, yeah, of the room have and they don't there's uh, government people there <laughs> and you know they always sit in the corner of the government people. Um, well it's really wonderful that you break down the silos. You know, you, you you have people that you would otherwise not interact with. And it turns out that in some ways the finance sector has been quite rightly criticized uh, in recent years. Um, but you know, there are a spectacular number of people who are moving into the impact space, as you know better than others. Um, and they are, um, there's not an absence of resources in the sector, right? There is a, a need to efficiently find deals. There's a need to support those endeavors when they're being founded and also when they're seeking to grow. Well, Impact Alpha's, you know, uh, angle on, on this tends to be investment and, for better or worse, market-based solutions you have also as you said nonprofits government yeah. and whatnot yeah. is there a kind of rich debate about models and approaches and financing sources and way you know what 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 works and what doesn't absolutely i mean i think if there was a group of tech titans who said well you know government is evil and inept and incompetent and we're just going to do it and you know government be damned and all regulation is evil and uh uh, you know, uh, just ask Uber and Facebook how uh, how that approach to governance has um, has served them and their shareholders and their brands. And so I think there's a greater sense right now that you know you want a multi-stakeholder approach. You want to be wildly entrepreneurial. You want to slash through idiotic and unproductive regulations. Um, but you also want to recognise that there are a real legitimate, important public interest that 
voters and their governments represent, and that that has to be taken seriously and reckoned with. And if you, you know, try and sweep it away, it comes back to bite you. And so I think what you want to have in a room is a group of extraordinary entrepreneurs in a thoughtful, sensible conversation with those people at the you know, the handles on the levers of power in government with a very interesting conversation with not-for-profits and with advocates and with activists who, you know, can keep you honest and, you know, plant a flag. And um, and then, you know, a whole body of really interesting research. We have a ton of people in the academic world. Um, both there's a new generation of students who are taking courses around social entrepreneurship and business. There's a group of really interesting, I mean, the best research sometimes in the world on sustainability and climate change is coming out of these really world-class universities. Cambridge has an incredible, incredible body of expertise around it. Um, and so you want to be able to draw on all those pockets of expertise if you're trying to build businesses with purpose at their core. It sounds like a sort of ongoing Skull World Forum permanent installation. Well, I mean, yeah, I, it's uh, you know, it's the, the conduit. You know, the the, the, the three co-founders, and we all in different ways experience different parts of an ecosystem. So, I won the Skull Award for social entrepreneurship, and so spent a ton of time there. And it's exceptionally talented people, and you have a hot house of three, four days of just extraordinary conversations. I, Spent a lot of time in Davos as a young global leader and a very different setting, not necessarily around purpose um, all the time. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, some really important and influential people who benefit you and and you could benefit them. Um, I spoke at TED Africa, one of the, the most incredible gatherings of talented Africans I, I've been at. And um, in each of those places, I always had this great sense of regret that after three or four days, it ended. And then you're in the airplane on the way back and you're kind of exhausted and hungover and you are sad that you're not with these people all the time. And I think what we've been trying to do at The Conduit is create that sense of a permanent home that you can just, you know, 40,000 square foot building and you can you can keep walking in the door and and that community exists. Now this is itself a business. Um, you've you've yeah. raised money to build this building or build build out this building, yeah. and uh, it's interesting that it's almost like social impact itself is the uh, is the is the the brand or the core of the of the business. Um, that you're building that as a as a as something that people are going to be attracted to and come and presumably pay their membership dues and all that. Yeah, I mean, the value proposition is you know we have a wonderful speakeasy in a bar in the basement and we have a 5,000 square foot event space that can take 150 people in a banquet and we have a restaurant with a Michelin star chef and a lounge and we have a co-working space um, and we have a rooftop bar and terrace but most importantly of all we have 200 uh, program events that we hold on an annual basis on climate and sustainability, economic opportunity and job creation and health, wellness and nutrition and skills learning and education and equality and justice and women's empowerment, arts and culture. And in each of those, we're trying to figure out what's a solution and how do we mobilize around that. And sometimes it's a solution that we can all get behind that is nascent. Sometimes it's just staring you in the face. You should all be doing it. Sometimes it's... Um, an approach to something that is not directly relevant to your business but gives you an idea. And, you know, I think if you look at a lot of the literature around creativity, 
the most interesting moments of breakthrough happen when you place two adjacent concepts side by side and somebody goes, well, from this perspective, these two things have a lot in common that other people didn't see. So we're trying to create that intellectual um, content um, or environment where those things keep bumping into each other. Um, and, and the hope is, therefore, we will incubate and help accelerate interesting businesses in the space. Now, is London, you think, unique in that in, in some way? I, I don't know whether you can compare exactly, but, I mean, is there a way that the sectors mingle here in a way they might not in the hothouse of tech in San Francisco or the hothouse of finance in New York or, or what have you? Is, is London some special case? London is a very, it's a remarkable city. You know, there are not many eight-plus million person cities which have the qualities of London. You know, the contenders after New York, the list gets short. Um, but London has four or five things. It has a deep history of believing in social entrepreneurship. Um, it has a government that is historically, uh, regardless of political stripe, been interested in the private sector and the public sector and the not-for-profit sector collaborating in various ways. Much of the much of the sort of global impact investing policy initiatives have come out of, came out of David Cameron's government and and Sir Ronald Cohn and all that? They're, I mean, they have been... And it's because they're not Johnny-come-latelys. Come you know, they've been doing this for decades. Um, um, so it has a, it has a, a practical and intellectual tradition. Um, it is a tech hub. It's one of the most incredibly fertile cities for tech. It has, until recently, been, you know the spider in the web of global interconnectedness. Well, I was going to ask yeah, that. Is there a yeah. Brexit... You have Brexit risk at the conduit? I, no, I think we have Brexit opportunity, um, in part because um, the dislocation that this has already uh, caused and, and will cause is not going to diminish the underlying need for there to be... Um, these issues to be addressed, right? So the move to a non-animal-based uh, protein economy, the urgent, absolutely existential imperative of making sure that we don't go above two degrees optimally, um, the restructuring of pathways out of structural poverty. Um, all of those things are as urgent before or after Brexit. And frankly, if government and the private sector don't double down in a context where it becomes harder, the stresses will get greater. And I think more and more people will want to hunker down, you know, and go, well, where can I go where I don't have to ask people permission to do the stuff? And I think one of the reasons why, uh, you know, there is a, uh, and I just, you know, I'm obviously a, a zealot for what we're doing, but I, uh, why I feel it's with such passion is that people arrive here every day and go, I don't have to ask anybody for permission to found my business and do this work. And that, you know, in a context of government, um, how to put it diplomatically, unhelpfulness uh, on, uh, on, on, on policy is really liberating because you can just do it. Um, and so I think that that's, it will be, and hope we can avoid what I think will be regarded as one of the most historic mistakes of all time. But 
if it is not to be avoided, I think it, you know w we become a place where you can um, go to do stuff despite Brexit. Well, we know something about historic mistakes in in the in the U.S., so we we need the conduit there as well. Will you bring it to the states? Yeah, very much so. I, I think the U.K. and the U.S. are two places where you have the capital and the expertise and the and the the wherewithal. Um, so we we have a holding company that has cap been capitalized and are fully intending to. Um, within the next couple of weeks begin the the work of of doing a, a US conduit and uh, and uh, New York is the overwhelming favorite for for that um, but I think there's a ton of interesting stuff happening on the west coast right now something's happening on the west coast that you know half of London is moving to the west coast so I think that that's interesting and I think there's also a set of really interesting um, opportunities in um, you know these really remarkable European cities um, you know Stockholm, Copenhagen, Amsterdam um, are all Berlin, are all places that are, are full of fertility right now. Yes, yes. Well, you said you'd set this up so that you had your uh, own social life all organized in one place and seems like you've done quite a good job of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, congratulations to you for all the, all the success and, and thanks for your work. And, and also to thank you for your work. I mean, I'm a, I'm a subscriber and I listen to Impact Alpha and I think it's... Um, you know, it's required. It's required reading. So um, it's re really, really good to um, uh, to be able to benefit from what you produce. Um, you know, on a daily basis. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thanks to David Bank and Paul Funsale for that great conversation. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at impactalpha. If you like this podcast, consider telling two other people about it. You can also leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you don't like the podcast, maybe keep it to yourself. Kidding, we love feedback. Drop us a line at editor at impactalpha.com. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you, in some sense of the word, next time.